Welcome to Podcasts on Demand, a continuing medical education activity. This activity includes the most recent and current clinical data presented by leading experts. If you are seeking continuing education credit, please review the disclosures and the requirements for a successful completion of the activity prior to listening to the podcast. A link is found in the podcast description that can direct you to this information. Hello, my name is Ruben Mesa, and I'm the president of Atrium Health Libyan Cancer the executive director of the Atrium Health Wake Forest Baptist Comprehensive Cancer Center. And excited to join my wonderful colleagues, Dr. Mascarenas and Bose today for today's conference briefs, highlighting myelofibrosis fibrosis clinical data from key conferences, ASCO, EHA, and SOHO from 2023. And here's me and my disclosures. This is uh, my friend and colleague, Dr. John Mascarenas. John, let's say hello. Hi, everyone. Thanks for having me. Wonderful. And then Dr. Prithvi Voth from MD Anderson. Uh, Prithvi? Hi, everyone. Thanks, Ruben. Hi, John. Wonderful. So your objectives today, we're taking a, a dive into MF, particularly as it relates to what has been presented at these conferences. With the goal of trying to recognize the burden that patients with MS face on their health as well as their economic impact that they face, uh, what is the evidence, the risk-informed treatment plans based on prognostic scoring system and emerging risk markers in myelofibrosis? Evaluate the evidence from ongoing clinical trials of novel agents and combinations. Identify relevant clinical trial endpoints and effective treatment strategies to, to best manage your patients with myelofibrosis. And finally, try to develop strategies to optimize care for these patients, including patient education, supportive care, and toxicity management. We're going to break this up into three different sections. Uh, first, I'll go first with current unmet needs available uh, uh, for the therapy in myelofibrosis. Then Dr. Mascarenas will take us through the current and emerging JAK inhibitors in myelofibrosis. And finally, Dr. Bowe's emerging novel agents in myelofibrosis. So let's kick it off with these current unmet needs of available therapies in myelofibrosis. So this first abstract is one that I presented uh, in the summer and fall conferences relating to the impact of transfusion burden on health-related quality of life in functioning in patients with myelofibrosis. This was a post hoc analysis where we had the data of the SF36. This is a patient-reported outcome form that helps really measure uh, functionality and impact that patients are having in terms of how well they function. You know, frequently our assumption that if patients have less anemia, they're gonna be able to be more active, they're gonna be able to function better, they have better oxygen carrying capacity. Uh, and indeed, uh, these data from these two studies, Simplify 1, a uh, upfront study of mamelodinib versus ruxolitinib, and Simplify 2, mamelodinib versus either the continuation of rux or best alternative therapy in the second line setting as the data set, comparing mean change from baseline in week 24 and those who were transfusion dependent versus uh, who went then to transfusion independent, so really had that improvement, or those that stayed in transfusion dependent. And what it shows across these six parameters of functionality uh, is that there clearly was a, a, a favorable impact of becoming transfusion independent upon functionality for patients uh, with myelofibrosis having that level of benefit. So I think this is helpful. I think it helps to 
to show that, that achieving transfusion independence has a benefit, has a benefit in terms of functionality. We believe it has a benefit in terms of symptoms. Certainly can have an economic benefit as well as a health benefit for patients. Now, as you think about anemia in myelofibrosis, it is a great challenge. Uh, it's an adverse prognostic factor, both at baseline and throughout the course of the disease and can impact the quality of life. Our current treatments are have historically been limited. The anemia in myelofibrosis is multifactorial. There's both underproduction of red blood cells from bone marrow failure, uh, but there also can be drug emergent anemia with medications such as ruxolitum that we know ruxolitum and fedratum have tended to, to cause anemia as part of their uh, side effect profile. Inflammation from cytokine production is probably an additional contributor to ineffective hematopoiesis. Uh, when, with myelofibrosis, there's inflammation, increases in hepcidin, leading to functional iron deficiency and defective erythropoiesis. Treatments capable of ameliorating inflammation, reducing hepcidin may lead to improvement in anemia. Agents capable of in targeting ACBR1 and ALK2, which regulate hepcidin, uh, are thought to be potentially beneficial by in inhibiting that inflammatory response, improving erythropoiesis. Both pacritinib and mamelodinib have been demonstrated to inhibit ACBR1, and both have been able to show a benefit for improving anemia in patients with myelofibrosis. And agents selectively targeting ACBR1 or alcohol specifically are current under investigation. This next abstract uh, I liked very much. Uh, in that there is very little data regarding the challenges in health equity in patients with MPNs. Uh, and indeed, in many areas, both in blood conditions and in cancer, we're really only starting to, to quantify the degree of the problem, uh, but this was really well done. So, so this presented by Dr. Hamami looked at 5,200 patients diagnosed with primary myelofibrosis. Uh, found that 8.3% uh, of the population uh, was uh, was black, which again would be uh, under the the, uh, the the national expectation, uh, and again could be a, a reflection of under recognition of these cases for these uh, individuals. We saw that the blacks had a significantly younger mean age at diagnosis than non-blacks, uh, and that black patients that uh, in this cohort tended to be less likely to be married uh, and female. Also with you know, signaling, and again, consistent with other studies of challenges in terms of social determinants of health, including mean, median income. We looked at complications for uh, PMF, including leukemic transformation. Uh, leukemic transformation was a leading cause of death, followed by cardiac disease, pulmonary disease, and GI disease. Survival in this kind of you know, non-clinical trial population, but more of a survey, uh, was 69% 41% at two and five years. The factors associated with worse survival by Cox regression analysis, age, male sex, black race, uh, and being unmarried. So I think this is really important complementary information to much that has been published. You know, many of these aspects really have not been looked at. In, in the large retrospective 
typically single institution studies that have occurred in myelofibrosis. <clears throat> now, one of the ways that we have learned to, to further uh, assess the symptom burden in patients with M MPNs and MF have been patient-reported outcome forms. And Dr. Papadopoulos, who had been with, with the FDA, uh, had been a, a collaborator on some of these efforts with us, and this was an abstract which she presented, looking at the, the updated form of the MFSAF. So this is more specific for uh, myelofibrosis. Uh, we're, again, trying to uh, both harmonize that the different scores are both interchangeable, but also further validation with patient focus groups. So here they had uh, 39 uh, patients complete baseline and retest surveys respectively. Uh, there was strong internal consistency, test retest reliability, non-groups validity, convergent validity, and good discriminant validity. For those of us that are not biostatisticians, what does this mean? Well, it means one, the patients understand the test. And if they take it more than once, they'll answer consistently. And that it's also uh, helpful for really being able to discriminate difference between uh, one response and another. So if there is a benefit, can you, can you measure it? They also had cognitive interviews and were able to get the feedback. And patients generally demonstrated a good understanding of the content and did not suggest any changes to the measures. Indeed, at this point in time, we probably have the, the greatest amount of validation actually regarding our symptom assessment tools compared to necessarily what is the optimal degree that we shrink the spleen or, or other aspects. Now, this was a uh, abstract presented by Ramakamraji from uh, the Moffitt uh, from the most studies. So this is a uh, longitudinal study uh, conducted both for patients with myelofibrosis and essential thrombocythemia. And here they're looking at disease progression and leukemia transformation in patients with uh, lower risk MF. And again, here they're looking at progressive disease versus not progressive disease. So 232 patients, 59 with progressive disease, and factors associated with patients who progressed, they were older, they were more likely to be black, fewer were employed, and more were unable to work. I think all indicators of more severe disease. Uh, and again, we're just only now wrapping our heads around implications of, of, of race or ethnicity uh, in these uh, data sets. Indicators of progression, blood count changes, spleen size, symptoms, and blasts. Uh, more low-risk patients had changes in blasts. Uh, the symptomatology of patients uh, was not different at baseline as it relates to those who ended up uh, progressing. 57% uh, of the patients had been receiving hydroxyurea versus ruxolitinib. Uh, again, probably not in accordance with the current uh, with the current guidelines. And, and patients who were receiving ruxolitinib versus hydrea were more likely to have intermediate one, a palpable spleen, uh, and immediate longer median duration from the time of diagnosis. So again, important real world data in terms of how patients are actually being managed uh, at the moment. This abstract here from Dr. Gerds, looking at the impact of healthcare resource utilization for those individuals who were transfusion dependent. Uh, 
Uh, and again, slicing a, a group of almost 1,800 patients with MS. This is using Medicare fee-for-service data and dividing patients into transfusion independent, so no transfusions at all, transfusion requiring or transfusion dependent. Transfusion dependent receiving, again, greater than six claims per transfusion on six separate days over any 12-week window. Uh, so transfusion requiring being somewhere in the middle of that high bar. Uh, and my takeaway from this was one, those whether you were requiring or dependent didn't seem to make too big a difference. So if you were needing transfusions, the data looked pretty similar in every way they looked at it, including one, a greater degree of hospitalizations and uh, greater than three visits, two, greater pharmacy costs, and three, almost double the overall medical costs that these patients were experiencing. So I think if you're needing transfusions, whether you need a lot or a few, you know, the implications are both, are both uh, uh, problematic for patients. We hope you found this podcast useful and educational. To receive continuing education credit and to download your printable certificate, please go to the activity page at practice.cme.com to complete the post-test and evaluation to receive continuing education credit.